All right, everybody, if you could please turn with me to a very familiar passage, and I did come up with this sermon beforehand, um, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, I hear you laughing, verses 10 through 18, and I will be reading from the ESV, and that is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. All right. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, with which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I can already tell this thing's lowering, so, but it is good thing I'm short. If this was Dominic, he would be in trouble. All right. So, what's going on here? Well, this epistle was written by Paul when he was in prison, when he was confined in Rome as a prisoner, and it was written to the Gentiles in Ephesus as a means of encouraging them and building them up amidst their societal and cultural um, situation that they were all presented with at the time. Now, what was Ephesus like? Well, thank you, Aaron, for asking. He would ask. Ephesus was a, not just a normal city in the Roman Empire. It was a spiritual hub of worship. And not like, oh, we worship the Lord worship. No, this was a massive collection of idols from all around. This was a hub for Greek-Roman worship. People would come to Ephesus yearly to worship. In particular, one of the biggest sites this place had, when this, this place was so saturated with spiritual ideas. As an example, on that location in Ephesus, they had the Temple of Artemis, which is also mentioned in the Book of Acts. The Temple of Artemis was considered so grand, so beautiful, and so majestic this temple to this foreign goddess, that today it is considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This place was no joke. And just for a little more background behind that, Christians were not going to be popular. Why were Christians not going to be popular? Well, one of the ways, and if you've been a student here for a while, you'll start to learn this. Hopefully you already have. 
One of the ways the Roman Empire grew and accumulated and managed their provinces and their cities was they would bring in all these religions. They would concentrate it in, and they would take these ideas and these gods, and they would implement them into their culture and into their society. So there was an extremely highly focused polytheistic worship of many gods. And then you have the Christian church. The Christian church is monotheistic. They worship one God. We worship one God. Now, this was an issue for multiple, in multiple cases. One, it's exclusive. And two, it's divisive. And three, this, is, this one is very particular to that time. The Greek and Roman people, they believed very adamantly that if they didn't pray enough or give enough worship to their gods, that their gods would inflict punishment, wrath, disease, plague, and all sorts of harm on them. So all of a sudden, these Christians start showing up, and this church starts getting bigger. And less and less people are worshiping the pantheons, and more and more people are going to this Jesus. So not only is, are these Christians in Ephesus considered unwelcoming, maybe, but they're def they can even be considered by some of the people a threat. Because, because of them, they see the gods, their gods getting angry because they're not getting the worship and glory and honor that they deserve these idols of Greek and Rome, of Greece and Rome. So, if you could all do something for me, a little exercise, and for those of you that don't like to participate in chapel, well, too bad. All right, could everyone close your eyes for one second? I want to kind of paint a little picture here. You are a citizen of Ephesus. You wake up in the morning and you begin your, re your regular routine on your way to work. You walk down the street and you are greeted with all sights of these statues. These big, impressive, imposing statues. You can smell the pungent scent of incense coming from all the altars. You can hear the whispered prayers of people on their faces worshiping these for these idols, these idols that were once your gods that you worshipped. You go about your business and on your way to work, you then remember that you were asked to get the wine for communion. At, for communion. So you head back and you, go, you start going to the marketplace and you see all the crowds moving around, you hear all the voices and the noises, and then you get to this, and you get to this point where you find the stall. It was always your favorite stall. And this, this like, joyful young man greets you with a big smile on his face. Um, he's 14 years old, probably. He's clearly pretty young. And he just looks at you and he smiles. And you give him a polite smile back. And you, you tell him what you need. And he gets you this beautiful, beautiful skin of wine. And you look at it and uh, you kind of you smile back. And, he, and you, satisfied with the product, you begin to hand him the money. And he says, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. All of, our wine this, all of our wine this year has been blessed and sacrificed to the goddess Artemis. 
you then stop for a second and uh, you awkwardly and politely apologize for the misunderstanding and you put it back. And then you go head back to work. People look at you and they whisper. And you just continue about, this is a regular routine. All right, you can all open your eyes. All right, thank you for that. We don't wake up and walk down the street, typically, and see statues of Zeus on a regular basis. Now, maybe that's just me, but it's not something that happens usually. I don't wake up and I smell it. I don't see the incense. I don't see the fire. I don't see. That's not a thing that we deal with. But if you have been to a mall or been on the internet for 35 seconds, those idols are not, are, may not physically be there, but man, what they re represent is absolutely there. It is absolutely there, and we encounter that regularly. But what does this really have to do with the passion, with the passage? So a lot of the time when we hear the armor of God, we hear these wonderful lessons, and they're so true, about putting on the armor of God and being prepared for spiritual warfare. But I want to talk about something a little different today. I want to talk about choosing our enemies. In the little analogy that was just used, you could, it would be so easy to take your discomfort, your fear, your anger, and put it on the people around you. That's what they're doing, right? They're, dis they're uncomfortable, they're afraid, they're angry. In, th in this case, it's so easy for us to direct our fears and angers and discomforts on people. And we might not feel that right now, but I bet you, I bet you if I named a few names or a few organizations, something would stir up real quick. We all have them. I've got them. So we're going to read, I'm going to reiterate verse 10 through th 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. I was in my room the other day, and I was kind of relaxing. I just was watching a little bit of YouTube. Um, I was watching some, like, oh, legal lawyer thingy. And I was sitting there, and... This man was going over this scenario, and he was showing this video. And what happened in this video, um, there was this man. He was, he was an older Caucasian gentleman. He was driving probably to work. And a riot broke out. And a crowd of people, a crowd of protesters, came, and they started banging on his car and trying to yank him out of, the, out of his car. And they were pepper spraying at him, and they were beating on his car. And they were, because, why were they doing this? because he was a symbol of hatred and violence. So in the name of peace, a few hundred people in the, through hatred and violence started beating on this man's car. 
just because the way he looked, they, he, they associated him with, prob- with bigotry, hatred, violence. And I, in that moment, I watched that video, and I'm not going to lie. You know what thoughts immediately came to my mind? Hatred and violence. I got so angry. I remember just sitting there, I just remember sitting there, and I had this thought. It was, it's not a good thought, but it's a thought that, as a people, we have sometimes. sometimes. I remember, they're trying to beat this man because they think he's violent. They should, just pull out, bro. Just, they should get hit by the car. Just drive away. They're trying to kill you. Don't be sitting there courteously, not trying to hit anyone. Just leave. They deserve it. And the moment I thought that, yeah, it's funny because it's messed up. But the moment I thought that, the spirit immediately impart, like, put something on my heart, and it was, it stops with you. We are not the preferred line of defense against hatred and violence. We are the line of defense against hatred and violence. It's supposed to stop with us. That's what we do. We're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. If we don't stop it, if we don't rise up against the hatred and the violence, if we are not the ones that submit in humility before the Lord and go before him and contain rage and, put, and give it to him and face evil and darkness and pain and suffering with love, no one else is. That's it, period. No one else is going to. It's us. We're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are the ones that are being used to combat hatred, anger, and violence. We need to know our enemy. There's something really scary sometimes about spiritual warfare. It's intimidating. It can be dangerous. Nay, sometimes even uncomfy. But you know what's way more terrifying? The idea of the enemy sitting back and going, who, him? Nah, please. He's not a threat. He doesn't even know who his enemy is. As long as he's not praying for these people and he's just angry at them, he's practically doing our work for him. You know? And those are powerful words. But as we see throughout the Bible, it's true when, as regarding hatred and anger. We're not serving the Lord when we take out our rage and anger and hatred on these people. And why, are we really, and why am I really pressing this in today? Maybe you don't feel this right now, but you will. You'll watch something on the news. You'll have a conversation with someone at work. A video on YouTube will come up. Something will happen, and you'll have a choice to make. Who are we choosing? Are we choosing the Lord? Are we choosing to target the enemy? Or are we choosing to target rage and anger at people? Before we commence spiritual warfare, we need to know who we're fighting. It's common. That's, that's basic. The church fails when we put all of our resources, all of our attention, and all of our thought and passion on the people 
and not the force behind that. Not the shadowy, not the dark blindfold that is, behind, that is blinding people. When we put all of our resources on them. I remember something that I struggled with for a little while. It was the, uh, um, when it came to, and it's a powerful, it's a, it's a big issue, but I'm going to say it. Um, I remember some, saying this about abortion. I remember saying, well, the person that's tricked into going and doing it isn't, like, in the fault. The real fault, the person that really is, like, the problem, the person that's really bad, the person that's really evil, is the doctor who knows otherwise. They're the person that's evil. They're the person that needs judgment. That's not right thinking. That's wrong. We still need to be praying for the doctor. So how do we combat this hatred and anger, this violence that we will experience? We are going to have this. This is real. This is applicable. If you could all turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that would be, I would greatly appreciate that. As Ephesians chapter two, I'm going to reading going to be reading verses one through seven. No, nope, I'm going to do the whole thing. And you were dead in the trespasses of sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. The passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up. With him, and seated, uh, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk with him. I'm going to say one more. I'm going to read 11, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that you at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is, by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God, in the, wor- in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. How do we as a church orient our hearts and our minds into a place where we're going to be able to make the difference when it comes to interacting with people? Because we can know our enemy. We can know that the enemy is the forces of Satan, forces of darkness, demons, and, the, and everything that takes part in that. But that's easier said than done. We also need to be in a spot where we can love the people 
even when they do horrible things and say horrible things. How do we do that? It's right here. We need to remember that we were once one of them. We are just, we were exactly in the same place, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And you might have grown up in a Christian home. You might have been, you might have had a really rough background. I'm not sure what it is. It's different for each person. But here's the difference. Where would we be without Jesus? Doing the same stuff, thinking the same things, saying the same things. If Jesus Christ did not come in between then and now, we'd be in the same place. That is how we combat anger and hatred. That is how we combat these things. So that I've got, I guess, kind of two points. How do we battle hatred? Know your enemy and know your past. Know who the real foe is and know who you would be without Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, just think for, just think. If we shifted some of our prayers, if some of us shifted our prayers to prayers of salvation, it could change the world. Sometimes it's so easy to pray for justice. And justice is good, and God will have his justice. But sometimes we pray for the downfall of, of someone, or we pray for judgment, or we pray for wrath, or God to punish them as they deserve. What if we switched it up, and we prayed for their salvation? What if we prayed for violent organizations and countries? What if we prayed for deliverance? What if we prayed for the dictators of those areas, the tyrants, the people that lead and shout out for the blood of Christians? What if we prayed that God would deliver that person? It could change the world. The people of Ephesus were right, were right about something. They were afraid that the Christian church was going to completely alter their way of life. Heck yeah! That's right. We are. We should be proud of it. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. We come bringing Jesus Christ into the darkness. If everybody could bow their heads with me real quick. And as we end, I would just like everyone to think of one thing, myself included. One name one group, one organization, one thing that you know gets you really angry when it comes up in a conversation or it's discussed about or you hear someone saying opposing views about. We're going to give that to the Lord. We're say, Lord, please help me to be the line of defense against anger and hatred. Lord, I pray that it stops with me.
And Heavenly Father, we pray that this will, again, this message will not just be in this room, but that when we inevitably will be encountered by these things, we will remember you. We will remember that it stops at us. We are the difference. You will, you want to use us and you will use us. That when anger and rage start stirring up in our hearts, we would be filled with love and we'd remember who the real enemy is and where we would be without you. In Jesus Christ's holy and sovereign and mighty name, amen.